Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Executive Pastor Will Price for the message titled Religious. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Will. I'm the Executive Pastor of Ministry here at Calvary, and it is an honor and a privilege to be able uh, to bring you God's word this morning. Um, how many of you are into pop culture? You like being on the up and up about what's going on in our culture? How many of you? Don't be afraid to raise your hand, it's okay. Uh, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into pop culture to a certain extent. I like to, uh, to, to be up on what's going on. Um, I have that pressure as a pastor to be relevant and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm really excited about Kanye West, okay? Um, yeah, how cool is that? That, that this, this guy who, who would never smile and who once called himself a God is now worshiping the one and true living God. Isn't that cool? So he dropped an album called Jesus is King and uh, closed on Sunday is my jam, all right? If you, haven't, if you haven't downloaded the album, you need to. It is the most gospel-centered, Christ-honoring uh, Christian rap album that I've heard in a very long time. So go get that. Um, you know, something else happening in, in pop culture, uh, in fact, earlier this month, was a really, really popular but controversial movie came out. And that movie is... Joker, how many of you went and saw Joker? Okay, all right, one person, two, three, I don't know, <laughs> not very many, I think some people are afraid to raise their hand, I don't know. Um, so, so I posted a status, okay, here it is. Um, Followers of Jesus have no business watching movies like Joker, change my mind. And then I, I put a little clown emoji there for fun. Um, now, before you get, uh, Offended. Let me just say this: um, If you went and saw the movie, I do not judge you for that. Okay? Uh, if 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 you can, after prayer and reading God's word, um, go watch a movie like Joker in good conscience. Hey, that's between you and the Lord. I, I don't judge you for that. Um, but but my my stance on this is that followers of Jesus really shouldn't be watching movies like that. And I attached a little article from GotQuestions.org: Should a Christian watch scary movies? And my my reasoning for posting that was not to, 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 to put anyone down or to be judgmental for those of you who raised your hand and went and saw the movie, but it was to just start a, a discussion, a, a healthy discussion um, between Christians about whether or not this is, this is something that we should be doing. You know? And so anyway, uh, th this guy uh, made a comment um, and by the way, if, you, if you're going to Facebook right now to try to find this, I, I removed it, okay? <laughs> I removed it, it just, it just got, it got too messy. But this guy uh, said a lot of things, but one of the things that he said in the comment sections was that by having this view, I'm a religious Pharisee, okay? So he accused me of being a religious Pharisee. Now, I've been called a lot of things in my life but I've never been called a religious Pharisee, you know? Um, and, and my knee-jerk reaction was to just write this guy off and forget that he ever said it and move on with my, with my life. But what happened is it got me going on a journey of self-reflection, okay? You know, you know how there's often like a, a, little, a little grain of truth in something that someone says, you know? That, that's how I, I approach this is, okay, what about what he said is true about my life? Am I 
like, do people look at me and, and, and because of my views on, on entertainment, do they, do, do they see me as a religious Pharisee? Am I a religious Pharisee? And here's kind of where I landed with all of this. Number one, I'm not a Pharisee, okay? Now, I, like you, absolutely have moments of hypocrisy in my life, okay? I'll admit that, but I'm not a Pharisee. But you know what I am? I am religious. I am religious. You know, there's a popular statement that Christians like to make, and here it is. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Maybe you went to Hobby Lobby and you bought the sign and you have it hanging in your living room. Maybe you've posted it on Facebook or you've said it to uh, your friends or people that you were witnessing to, but, but we say this, don't we? Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And, and, and I, 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 I understand why we say this. I, I, I get it. We, we wanna emphasize how that Christianity is different, right? We, 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 we don't want Christianity lumped in with uh, other major world religions. In fact, here, here are the big five major world religions that we want Christianity to stand out among. Okay, we got Christianity, we got Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, uh, 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 Buddhism, right? And, and so we say, we, 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 we see these big five religions, uh, Christianity often gets lumped in with, with that. Um, and, and, and so we say, hold on, time out, no, 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 no. No, Christianity's not a religion. We're not like them because we're based on a relationship. And while that is true, while there is some truth to that, what I want to tell you this morning is that I I don't necessarily agree with that statement that Christianity is not a religion. And the crowd hushes. <laughs> you guys are like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are you saying, Pastor Will? So here's what I'm saying. Here's what I wanna do this morning. I, I wanna go to God's word this morning and I wanna show you how you can be religious without compromising the relationship. You can be religious without compromising the relationship. What I wanna show you this morning is that Christianity is a religion, okay? And, and you can be religious without compromising the relationship. And, and listen to me, I understand the tension. Like we, we, we pit religion and relationship against one another. We do that. For, for whatever reason in Christianity, we've, been, we've become uncomfortable with this word religion. And yet, if you look in God's word, the Bible tells us that there's a type of religion that actually pleases God. And so um, grab your fill-in, it's on your seat. Go ahead and grab it. I'm gonna wait until all of you grab it. Let, let, let me just pause in the message here for just a second and say something about that fill-in. Here at Calvary, we are passionate about seeing the people who gather on the weekends get on a path of spiritual growth. And we believe that engaging in the message that's being taught is a vital part of that. And so that's why we put these cards on your seat. And so I wanna encourage you, when you come to the gathering, get a Bible, pick up your fill-in, and follow along. Engage the message. I really, really believe it will help you grow spiritually. Amen? So your big idea for today is that you can be religious without compromising the relationship. It's your first fill-in. You can be religious without compromising 
the relationship. Now I wanna, um, before we jump into our, our text for today, which is James chapter one, verses 22 through 27, before we, before we do that, I wanna make three bold statements that will set the stage for our Bible study, okay? Three bold statements that will help us understand where we're coming from with this whole idea that we can be religious without compromising the relationship. And the first bold statement that I wanna make is that Christianity is a religion. Christianity is a religion. Now, there are a lot of ideas out there when it comes to religion. A lot of definitions that we have when it comes to religion. Oftentimes when we think about the word religion, we think about a, a, a ritualistic set of, of rules that man must follow in order to be right with God. Well, what I want you to know today is that that is not an accurate definition of religion. So let's take a look for just a second what Merriam-Webster says religion is. Merriam-Webster tells us that religion is the service and worship of God or the supernatural, or commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance, or a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Now, we're gonna leave that up for just a second, and I want you to look at it, and I want you to tell me, do you think that Christianity fits that definition? Yes, yes, it absolutely fits. Christianity is service and worship of God. It's what we do, right? Christianity is commitment or devotion to our faith. It, it is a set of religious attitudes and beliefs and practices. And so for me, by definition, by the real definition of religion, I think it's fair to say that Christianity is a religion, but here's, what I want you to know. The dictionary is not our final authority on our faith, amen? amen? What is our final authority? It's God's word. And so here's, here's the question, what does God's word say about religion? Well, what I would tell you is that God's word is not as cut and dried as the dictionary. In fact, uh, God's word is not positive or negative uh, one way or another, or overly positive or negative one way or the other uh, about religion. But what, what the Bible does do in the passage that we're gonna look at today, what the Bible does do is define uh, Christianity as a religion, very, very specifically as a religion. We're gonna see today that God says that there is a, 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 a type of religion in this whole Christianity thing that, that pleases him, okay? And so, so by definition, Christianity is a religion and, and, and according to God's word, there is a religion that pleases God and so if the dictionary defines it and the Bible supports it, then for me that settles it, Christianity is a religion. Now, some of you would say, but, but wait a second, Does it, doesn't Jesus hate religion? Doesn't the Bible teach that Jesus hated religion? And what I would tell you is no, the Bible never teaches that Jesus hated religion. What it does teach us is that Jesus hated false religion. And, and, and this whole idea of, of Jesus having a problem with religion comes from his relationship with the Pharisees, right? 
Jesus, he was, he was, he was at it with the, the Pharisees all the time. But I, what I want you to realize is that his tension with them was not because they were religious, it was because they were hypocrites. So, so Jesus didn't hate religion. He hated false religion and he hated hypocrisy. So bold statement number one, Christianity is a religion. But what I want you to realize is that even though it's a religion, it's based on a relationship. So bold statement number two in your fill-ins. Christianity is a religion that is based on a relationship. Now, this is what separates Christianity from all the other religions. It's the relationship. It's the relationship. Check out what gotquestions.org has to say about the difference. Most religions are similar in that they are built upon the concept that man can reach a higher power or state of being through his own efforts. In most religions, man is the aggressor and the deity is the beneficiary of man's efforts, sacrifices, or good deeds. Paradise, nirvana, or some higher state of being is man's reward for his strict adherence to whatever tenets that religion prescribes. But watch this. In Christianity, God is the aggressor and man is the beneficiary. So Christianity is a religion, but it is like no other because it's based on a beautiful, special relationship that we get to have with Father God. And I love Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven and what it has to say about this relationship. We're gonna put it on the screens here. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, and I, I love that, when the fullness of time had come, because what that tells me is that God had a goal in mind, that, that God set some things in motion and he, had, he was at point A, but he had a point B that he was going after, right? So when the fullness of time had come, God created the heavens and the earth and he put man on the earth and he wanted to have a relationship, but man rebelled and you have all the Old Testament prophets and the, the history and the law and, and all that. But when the fullness of time had come, and God reached his goal, this is what he did. He sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And why did he do that? To redeem those who were under the law. Who's that? It's you and me, right? And why? 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 So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit into your hearts so that you would cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba means daddy, right? God has, God has adopted you as a son or daughter and now you say daddy. And so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. This has honestly become one of my favorite passages in scripture. Because in this, God is the aggressor, right? God is the initiator. He's the pursuer of our souls. Why? So that he can adopt us as sons or daughters and we, be, we can become heirs of his. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful relationship that he offers us, right? And that's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. It's, it's our adoption, our adoption, Ladies and gentlemen, adoption is such a beautiful thing. You know, I've had the honor and the privilege of 
witnessing some families in our church go through the, the adoption process. And it's just so beautiful. It's such, a, it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. To watch these little kids go from orphans to sons or daughters in a new family, right? And not only do they get a new family, but they get a new name. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that what God did for us? And, and isn't he the best, most awesome adoptive father there is? Amen, amen, and so that's what sets Christianity apart, our adoption. And so Christianity is a religion, but it's based on a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the religious part of Christianity that we're gonna talk about this morning, the religious part of Christianity happens in our lives when the beauty of our adoption takes root in our hearts, when the beauty of the relationship takes root in our hearts, religion happens. Because from the relationship, we are compelled, right? Can we go back to the definition real quick? When, when, when relationship takes root in our heart, religion happens, right? From that relationship, we are compelled to serve and worship God. We are compelled to be committed and devoted to him. We are compelled to implement a religious a set of religious attitudes and beliefs and practices in our lives. And so Christianity is a religion that is based on a relationship. And here's bold step, uh, st- statement number three, that should result in religious activity that pleases God. Your Christianity is a religion that's based on a relationship. And ladies and gentlemen, it should result in religious activity that pleases God. And so what we're gonna do from here is we're gonna get into James chapter one, verses 22 through 27. And what we're gonna find as we go through here is we're gonna find some religious activity that pleases God. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to James chapter one, and we're gonna begin in verse 22. Um, Before we we jump in, I just wanna make a couple of observations. James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the early, the, the, the leader of the early church in Jerusalem is the one writing this letter. He's writing the letter to, as it says in verse one, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. What does that mean? Well, he's writing to, most likely, Jewish converts. Okay, now this is a very important detail for us to understand, and here's why. Someone taught Jewish converts, okay, Jews who went from Judaism to following Jesus, Jews who became Christians. Someone taught them that upon becoming a Christian, you could just completely lose your religion, right? In Judaism, remember, it's a, it's a ritualistic set of rules that you follow in order to be right with God. Someone taught them that when you become a Christian, you don't have to follow any rules anymore, you don't have to be religious anymore, you're, you're just set free from all the doing, right? James was writing to these people to say, no, that's not right. There's still some doing to be done. There's still, there's still some religion involved in Christianity. Okay, but what we're gonna see is that the difference is, is that while in Judaism, you do it to be right with God, 
In Christianity, you do it because you are right with God. Amen. Amen. So let's pick up here in verse 22. And again, what we're gonna find is we're gonna find three <clears throat> very practical ways that we can be religious without compromising the relationship. Now, James starts out by saying, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, so he's, he's laying it out plain and clear that you can't, you can't just go to the synagogue or in our day and age, you can't just go to a weekend gathering and, 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 and just hear the word and not do anything about it. If you do that, you're deceiving yourself. And now quickly he moves on to an illustration uh, using a mirror. And this is what he says. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, just let's pause just real quick because I wanna, I wanna talk about this word intently and the word mirror, okay? <clears throat> in Bible times, mirrors were not like the mirrors we have today. In Bible times, their mirrors were sheets of metal, sheets of bronze, if you were wealthy, like a sheet of silver or gold. And you can imagine it's, it's not easy to see your reflection in a sheet of metal like that, right? And so when he says, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, what he's, what he's saying is, is because, because of the sheet of metal that's hard to see, you gotta look intently into it, right? And you gotta get just the right light to be able to see. And you gotta really, really look at it. And then once you see what, what you are, right, then, then you can know what your reflection is. And so does that make sense? So he says, if, if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently, closely at his natural face in a mirror. <clears throat> For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, and being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what does this illustration mean? Well, a lot of people misunderstand this illustration. Um, and let me explain what I mean, okay? When we look in a mirror, what are we, what are we doing? We're, we're looking to see what we look like, uh, usually to, to fix whatever's not right, right? You look in a mirror, oh, oh, my hair's messed up, let me fix that, right? Or my makeup's not right, so we, we fix our makeup. Or we, we have a zit, we pop it. Ugh, that's gross. <laughs> um, but right, that, that's, that's why we use mirrors. And, 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 and what I want you to understand is that that's not, that's not the illustration here. The illustration is not that, that we should look in a mirror, see what's wrong, and fix ourselves. Actually, what, what James is saying is how absurd it is that we would look in a mirror intently, carefully, for a long time and, and, and see who we are and then walk away and just forget, right? And in the same way, how absurd it is to look into this mirror, God's word, to see who you are, right? The, 
the words in here, this is a mirror. This is a reflection of who you are as a Christian. Not who you could be, not, not who you might be. No, this is, this is who you are. God says this is, this is who you are as a son or a daughter of me. And how absurd it is for you to look into this, for you to come to a weekend gathering and look into the scriptures, or for you to wake up uh, on a Monday morning and do your devotion and, and look into the scripture intently and then walk away and not reflect what it said that you are. That's the illustration here. How absurd it is. How absurd it is. And so th this, is, this is what I think James is saying here in verses 22 through 25. And it's, it's in your notes. And that is, you need to be a religious doer. You need to be a religious doer. Okay, you, we, we, we gotta stop playing around with Christianity. We gotta stop just coming to church and hearing a message and not doing anything about it. Because here, here's, here's what I think, to take it even a step further, what I think James is illustrating here is that if, if you come to church and you hear a message, okay, if, if you look into God's word, the, the mirror, and you see who, you're, who you are in Christ and then you walk away and you reflect something different, then you're either incredibly immature in your walk with the Lord or, 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 you're a, or you've walked away from the Lord or you're just a fraud. You're just a fraud. Okay, just, I, I know that's, that's a heavy thing, but I gotta say it and I, and I wanna let it sink in. And I, and I wanna ask you this morning, are, are you a fraud? Are you just coming to church and hearing a, a message that makes you feel good in the moment and then walking away and not doing anything about it? Reflect on that. Think about that. And, and know that God loves you so much that he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. That's you and that's me. He is the best adoptive daddy there is. And you're, if you're a fraud this morning, if you're coming to church and you're just hearing and you're not doing anything, if your religion is empty, God loves you so much, but you're a spiritual orphan and he wants to adopt you. And I just wanna encourage you to be real with yourself and maybe at the end of the service, you need to repent of your sins and your empty religion and turn to him in repentance and faith. And I'm telling you, he, he loves you so much and he will accept you and he will forgive you and he will adopt you and he will make you a son or a daughter. But, but reflect on that. Reflect on that this morning. Be honest with yourself. Be, but anyway, um, what James is telling us here is to be a religious doer. And then he, he gets very practical and he gives us three ways that we can be religious without compromising the relationship. And so um, let's pick up in verse 26, all right? So, so let, me, let me just recap here so that we understand the flow here, okay? Christianity is a religion. It's based on a relationship and it, and it should result in some religious activity that pleases God. It should result in some religious activity that pleases God. And so don't just be a hearer, be a doer, be a religious doer. How do we do that? 
Here's three ways right here. Let's look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here's the, this this is what James is doing. He's saying, look, I I want you to be a doer, not just a hearer. And, and, And what he means by that is, don't just listen to God's word, but actually apply it to your life. Does that make sense? Okay, don't just be a hearer, actually apply it to your life. So if you're taking notes, here's your first very practical thing that you can do, and that is apply God's word without deception. Apply God's word without deception. Let's read it again. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, but doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, right? That word deceived there. What's, what's he saying? He's saying that, if, if, if you're the person, if, if you're not careful with the words that you, you use, you're, and you think you're religious, you think you're a Christian, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. So, you know, words are incredibly powerful. Words have, have the power to literally destroy uh, marriages, Friendships, jobs, words have the power to destroy whole nations, right? Words are powerful, but words are so powerful that they can also strengthen marriages and and strengthen our kids. Words, the right words can get you a job, right? They, they They can salvage whole nations. Words are so powerful. And, and what James is telling us here is that if, if we're gonna be a religious doer, we need to watch our mouths. We need to be careful with the words that we use. I love Proverbs eighteen twenty one. This is what it says. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Okay, you call yourself Christian? Praise God. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer, and speak life. Speak life. When you are interacting with your spouse and things get heated, speak life. When your kid is being a knucklehead, and they can be, right, parents? But when they're being a knucklehead and they need to be disciplined, speak life. (laughs) Bosses, when your employees mess up and they need to be corrected, speak life. When you're out in public, you have a, a, a witness. People are watching, people are listening. Be careful with your words. Speak life. I wanna challenge you to ask yourself three questions before you ever say a word to anybody. And those three questions are, number one, is it true? Number two, does it give life? And number three, does it glorify the Lord? Write those down. Is it true? Right before, before, before you say a word, before you get into that, that conversation, is it true? 
Does it give life? My late mentor used to always tell me, build up or hush up, right? When you speak to people, you gotta ask yourself, is this gonna give life? And then number three, does it glorify the Lord? I love what Billy Graham said. He said, suppose there was no anger, no profanity, no lying, no grumbling. Suppose there were no dirty stories told, no unjust criticism. What a different world this would be. So number one, apply God's word without deception and speak life. Number two, apply God's word without selfishness. Help the needy. Apply God's word without selfishness. Help the needy. Let's look at verse 27a. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In Old Testament times, widows and orphans were incredibly vulnerable and needy. Widows had no male protector. Once their husband died, they were on their own. They had no social security to rely on for income. Orphans had no family to protect them. No foster care agency to place them in a new home. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, orphans and widows were incredibly destitute and incredibly impoverished. And not much has changed today, except for maybe social security and foster care agencies, but you know, widows and orphans are special to God. They really are. I mean, you can go back in the Old Testament and you can see that, that God was their greatest advocate and, their, and their, their protector. In fact, in the Old Testament, God instructed the Israelites concerning orphans and widows not to take advantage of them, but to take good care of them. He told the Israelites, when you go and you harvest your wheat or your crops or whatever it is, leave a portion for the orphans and widows. Take care of them, right? God loves orphans and widows. He is their biggest advocate. He is their biggest protector. It's no coincidence to me that the most loving and the most awesome and the most bestest Adoptive daddy holds orphans close to his heart. You know, that was, that was you and that was me, spiritually. We were spiritual orphans and God adopted us into his family. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were hit with the reality of this passage, among others, and our lack of involvement. We looked at our lives and we looked at scripture and we, we saw that it didn't line up. We, we, we read this verse that pure and undefiled religion is to take care of orphans and we were doing nothing about it. 
And so we made the decision to um, get involved in respite care. And if you don't know what respite care is, it's basically childcare or babysitting for foster families. And it's a great service. And what you do is, is uh, if, a, if a family wants to take a vacation or they just need a break, uh, you take in the foster kids for a day, two, three days or whatever, and then, then you give them back, right? And so we did that for, for a little while. Um, but over the course of this past summer, um, some things changed. And I don't have time to go into the, to the whole story, but I, I'll just tell you this, that this summer, um, we knew we had to do something different and we knew we had to do something more in light of God's word and in light of the great need in our city. And so my wife and I, after a lot of prayer and talking with other foster and adoptive families, decided to become a foster family. And so we went through the training and we went through the, the licensing, the background checks and all that. We got our license. Um, we got our first placement. We only had him for about a week, but, but I tell you what, um, becoming a foster dad and, and, and a foster family has opened our eyes all the much more to the beauty of the gospel. It, it really has. And, <clears throat> you know, we, we just got to the place where we couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore in light of, in light of what God's word says and the great need in our city. And I don't know what God might be saying to you this morning, um, but, I, but I wanna share with you what's going on in our city concerning orphans. There are f f around 400 kids in foster care right now in St. Lucie County alone. 75 of those kids are in licensed homes 49 are in group homes, and over 200 are in relative, non-relative care. And, and, and the number of kids that are coming into care keeps growing and growing and growing. In fact, I remember at one point this summer, there was something like 30 kids that came in and there wasn't a bed for them. And so the, 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 the need is great, okay? And so... I wanna, I wanna ask you a question this morning. If God's word says that pure and undefiled religion is to take care of widows and orphans, and it does say that, and if the need in our area is so great and you're not doing anything about it, then what does that say about your Christianity? Okay, and, and listen, this isn't a guilt trip. Okay, this isn't, this isn't um, a, a, a guilt trip to get you to become a foster or adoptive family, okay? There's lots of ways that you can get involved in orphan care, okay? You can, you can, you can, mow, a, a, you can mow the yard of a foster family. You know, you can, you can give a foster kid a haircut for free. They're like, there's so many ways that you can take care of orphans. So my goal here is not to guilt trip you into becoming a foster family or an adoptive family. My goal here is to tell you that I don't know how much clearer God can be about what our Christianity is supposed to look like. And, and if you're not doing anything about it, then what does that say about your religion? Well, 
It says that it's not pure and that it's defiled and that it's empty and that it's worthless. Um, J.D. Greer is a, is a pastor um, somewhere, I forget where, but he's a pastor and he's a huge advocate for widow and orphan care. And here's what he said. He said, no religion is genuine, no matter how many verses you know or how intensely you worship, that doesn't lead you to love and sacrifice for those in need. We cannot say we are disciples of Christ if we turn a deaf ear to the poor. You gotta do something. Don't call yourself a disciple if you're turning a deaf ear to this. You gotta do something. And I'd love to talk to you about how you can get connected with four kids, which is a fabulous foster care agency in our area. They can help you with becoming a foster family. They can help you with visiting a group home. They can help you with all the different ways that you can get involved, but you gotta do something. And I know I'm not spending a whole lot of time on widows, um, but widows are important too. And we have widows in our church and we have widows in our community. And, and we have a ministry here, or at least a, a, a posture of care towards our widows. And so if you wanna get involved in widow care, you can see our care pastor, Matt Missiano, and he'd love to share with you how you can get involved in that. So number one, if we're gonna be a religious doer, we need to apply God's word without deception and speak life. Number two, we need to apply God's word without selfishness and help the needy. And then number three, we need to apply God's word without compromise. We need to apply God's word without compromise and set biblical standards. You know what's interesting about this verse here, verse 27. Nine times out of 10, when I hear it quoted, the last part of the verse is left out. You ever notice that? I, I hear a lot of people say that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, but they leave the last part out. Why? I, I don't get that. Here, here's what it says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, that phrase, to keep, literally means regular, continuous action. And what I believe James is trying to communicate to us uh, through this, this part of the verse is that, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot fall asleep or take lightly our call to be holy. What did God say? He said, be holy for I am holy. We cannot fall asleep on our call as Christians to be holy in a culture that is increasingly more and more unholy and more and more vile and evil and, and, and drifting away from the principles of God's word. Now, there's a, another passage of scripture that's very close to this. It's Romans 12, two. This is what it says. 
It says, do not be conformed to this world, okay? Take note of that word world. It's found in this passage. It's also here in James. But it says, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what, the, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that word world is really important. Um, it, here in, in James and there in Romans, that word world is from the word cosmos, which literally means um, not this dirt ball that we live on, but it literally means uh, the systems, the arrangement, and the order, more specifically, the philosophies, the morals, and the values of our world or culture, okay? Think about that. In fact, let's read this verse like it literally means, okay? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to regularly and continuously keep yourself unstained, unpolluted, uncorrupted from the world or the systems, the arrangement, the philosophies, the morals, the values in your culture. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a culture that has values and systems and morals that are opposite of God and his word. We do. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good in American culture, right? We have freedom and we should celebrate that and participate in that. We have diversity, we should celebrate that and participate in that. Um, we have Chick-fil-A, we should <laughs> celebrate that and participate in that. All right, there's a lot of good things in American culture, but ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot about American culture that opposes God. Now, I could talk about a lot of things here, but what God put in my heart to bring up this morning concerning American culture is the entertainment industry. Okay, so full circle back from Joker, all right? Again, and, and this, is, this, is, this is really tricky. We all, we all have different convictions and we all draw different lines in the sand about what's good and what's not good and what, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. But, but he, here's the thing. When it comes to entertainment in our culture, my family uses God's word, okay, as, as, as a standard, as a, as a filter, Okay, we, we set biblical standards. I'm not sure if I, yeah. We, we set biblical standards, okay? And so, so we have a, 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 a list of scriptures that serve as, as standards for how we interact in, in our culture, right? And so verses like, I'm forgetting where it is, but uh, verses that say that we should set our mind on things above, right? Things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are holy, things that are good, right? We use that to help us navigate through whether or not we watch a movie or we listen to a song or we read a book. You know, call me radical, call me fanatical, um, but hey, to me, 
if God's word says it, then, then I'm gonna honor him with it, you know? And, and, and so we set biblical standards. We, we, we use God's word as a filter for our entertainment choices. And, and so I just wanna encourage you this morning Be a doer and not just a hearer. I'm, I'm so out of time and I wish I had more time to talk about this, but this is something that frustrates me so much. My wife and I were talking about this last night. There, there's just something about the entertainment world that I feel has Christians hypnotized. There's just something about the entertainment world that, that, that has Christians compromising and not caring at all. And, and, and please, please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not judging you. I'm just speaking from my heart. I don't understand how we can sit through these movies that has endless cursing and that glamorizes premarital sex and that is sinister and evil and dark and has representations of, of demonic influence. I don't understand how we can sit through that and walk away and go, wow, I was entertained. That was a great movie. I don't understand it. I don't understand how we can listen to, to certain songs that glamorize sex and drugs and, 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 and this, this life that opposes God. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And, and I'm just, if I could just encourage you this morning, do some reflection with this. Read this verse and ask God to speak to your heart. What does, he mean, what does this mean for you? For, for you to keep yourself unstained from the world, from this culture that we live in. What does that mean for you? And I wanna encourage you to set some biblical standards. Find some verses in God's word and put them on your walls in your house, put them on a sheet of paper, post them in your kitchen, whatever you gotta do. Set some biblical standards and let God's word be your guide for how you interact in this culture that we live in. Apply God's word without compromise. Um, one last thing. There's a, a, a Latin phrase that I love and it's coram Deo, coram Deo. And it means before the face of God, before the face of God. When I was a kid, um, I was very mischievous, but my dad didn't know it. Um, my parents always called me like the good kid out of the three. Um, and I was, no, I was very mischievous. You know, so, so there was a, here's what I mean. There was a lot of things that, that I would do mischievously when my dad wasn't around, right? So I'd be in my room and I'd be uh, messing around doing something I shouldn't be doing, lighting a mattress on fire or something like that, right? And I would hear him coming down the hall and you know what those footsteps did for me? They made me straighten up. Dad would come in, hey, what are you doing? Nothing, just hanging out, reading my Bible, being a good kid, right? You see, I knew what my dad expected of me 
and I knew that he thought that I was a good kid and called me a good kid. And, and, and when he was around, I, I wanted to like, I wanted to honor that, right? I, I, I couldn't be mischievous before the face of my dad. What if we began to live Coram Deo? What if we began to live our lives as if we were before the face of God all the time? I think that it would begin to change some things about how we interact in our culture. So I'm gonna invite Andrew out um, to, help me, to help me out here at the end. Um, by the way, uh, that last fill-in is, is this. Our relationship with Jesus is the root of our religious fruit. I wanna make sure that that's very clear. Okay, my message is not to heap a bunch of rules on you to follow. Okay, there, 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 there are some things to follow. There are some things in, in our relationship with Jesus that, that we must do. Not, but it's not because we, we don't do it to be right with God. We, we do it because we, we are right with God. He's declared us righteous, right? So, so our relationship, that's the foundation. Our adoption as sons and daughters, that's the foundation. Our relationship with Jesus is the root of the religious fruit that we just talked about. I was talking with Andrew this past week. You know, I was, I was like, you know, I kind of feel like God is leading me to bring you out to kind of close this. Like he's my closer, right? <laughs> but but, but we, 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 we were talking, I was sharing with him the message and he had some really good things to say about fruit. And so, Andrew, would you share yeah. what we were talking about earlier yeah, yeah, this yeah. week? I, I love this teaching because I think so often um, a lot of people in general, they take advantage of that grace. And at the end of the day, it's not grace anymore, is it? It's just, it's really saying, God, I don't care about your standards, and they just abuse that. But the truth is, for, for the majority of us, we need to be transformed before we can experience that fruit, right? Jesus had a saying, he would say repeatedly, that good trees make good fruit but too many people walk around and try to be a, a, a tree that produces fruit when they're a bad tree. They need to be transformed into a good tree before they can produce good fruit. That's right. And so the way that we believe that we are transformed is through seeing Jesus clearly, through being adopted, through hearing his gospel message. And so very explicitly, I wanna encourage you that this is the message of hope, that God created us to be with him. From the beginning, humans, weren't at, at brokenness with God, that we were created with God in unity. We'd walk with Him, we'd glorify Him, He'd enjoy us, he'd, we'd serve Him. It was, it was a beautiful relationship. But then our sins separated us from God. Now sins, as you know, can't be repaid by good deeds. We try to do that, but it doesn't work. We try to earn God's favor, but that doesn't work because we've all fallen short of God's glory. But paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. He died a death we couldn't die and then rose to life to give us hope that there's gonna be a new life someday as well. And that life with Jesus, by the way, starts right now and lasts forever. And it starts right now. We can't miss that. And that starts with the level of obedience that we have right now. We take our words seriously. We take care of orphans and widows seriously because we're changed. Not to prove it, but because we are changed. 
And so maybe you're here and you're feeling honestly discouraged because your fruit is not showing. Well, my encouragement would be for you to check your heart right now and say, am I even a good tree? Am I transformed? Because you can spin your wheels all day long, you're gonna end up broken until you come to the feet of Jesus saying, I need help. And so what I wanna do is this, I'm gonna invite everyone here to have a moment of evaluation, and then I'm gonna ask if you wanted to come to Team Jesus today. And so if everyone could close your eyes for me right now, um, and this is between you and God, no one's looking around. If you're here and maybe honestly, you look at yourself and say, I'm actually not a good tree, that I, I'm not producing fruit in my life because I don't know God. I haven't taken that moment when I've turned from my sin and I've made him the boss and king of my life. I've not trusted in him as my savior and I'm not putting him in that place as Lord. If that's you, but you want to be saved, you wanna cry out to God right now and say, I'm all in, I'm gonna challenge you to raise your hand up right, right now, nice and high, and keep it up for me. Thank you, amen. In the back over here, amen. Praise God. Put it up for me and keep it up so we can pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. Amen. Awesome. We'll take just one more minute. Anybody else, you need to be saved and you're tired of trying to bear good fruit on your own, but you need the gospel to transform you. Amen, I see you in the back as well. Amen. Well, if your hand is up, you can put your hands down now. I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'd encourage you to pray something just like it in your heart to God right now. Here's what I'd encourage you to say. Um, Lord, I am, I am broken before you. I, I cannot bear the fruit in my life because I don't know you yet, but I want to. And God, I know that Jesus died thousands of years ago to, to be in my place, and I know that he rose from the dead to give me new life. And so I, I repent of my sin I know that I failed and messed up again and again, but I need you to come in and rescue. And God, I trust in you to be my boss and my king and the one that's gonna save me. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come into my life and change me. I wanna put your way in front of my way. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.